All right. So I'm super excited because this weekend my husband and I are going away. It's actually the first time that we're getting away alone since we had the baby. So uh, he is 19 months and we are way overdue and we really haven't done even any date nights or anything. So this is a big deal. And actually we tried to get away. And uh, if you go to alignedclimb.com, my personal blog, I talk about uh, it's a blog post that says no one to fold. And we tried to get away, I don't know, last year sometime and it was awful. Like, I don't know, it might have been earlier this year. I don't remember. But we had to like leave the Airbnb because it was so bad. Um, And I was just like, oh, what? This is my one trip. And I planned it. I spent a lot of money and it was just awful. And I didn't get any refunds. And I was like, and so needing my batteries charged then. And now again, I feel like I know better than to wait until I need a vacation to book it. I believe that we should like plan as many vacations as we need or as many trips away or date nights or whatever as we need and get them on our calendar uh, so that we work them in and we don't burn ourselves out and then say, screw it, I'm going away, you know. And, you know, probably spending more money than you need to spend or whatever. So if you can budget for these things better, and I'm obviously still trying to learn that, um, hopefully I can plan out 2021 a little bit better. Although, you know, vacations are kind of difficult this year. But I'm very, very excited. Uh, Travis's mom is in town and she's going to watch the baby for the weekend. And it's just so important to be able to say, like, I need help, you know. And ask somebody, you know, can you watch the baby for the whole weekend, even though he's kind of clingy right now and he's in a phase and, you know, it could be difficult and there could be a lot of things that I worry about. But you know what? Phoenix will have a much better mommy if I get away and come back refreshed. So, you know, I asked for that help and I asked for it very last minute and thankfully his mom was, you know, ready to say yes. But I just think it's super important that we are able to ask for help. And this can be not just about us, right? Because so many things that I talk about are for the kids that we serve. So, Whether you have kids or you are serving kids or you're a mentor uh, or you're a program director, anytime you're stuck, you know, ask for help and do it in front of people. Say, hey, I don't really know what I'm doing or I need help right now or I'm having a tough time because once again, you're exemplifying for the kids in your life, for the people around you, for your employees. Uh, for your community, that it's okay to ask for help. You know, we sit here and we say, people should feel like they can ask for help and people need to reach out when they are at the end of their rope. And we want people to be open about that. We want kids to be able to communicate their feelings. But I know I talk about it all the time. Are we doing it? Are you doing it? Uh, Because we do this whole, like, everybody around me should be able to do that, but I'm supposed to be a pillar. I'm supposed to be a pillar of strength and I'm not supposed to be vulnerable. And that's not how it works, right? You have to show, you have to lead by example. So of course there is a way to be vulnerable. There's a way to ask for help. You know, hopefully you're asking for help before you're completely, you know, breaking down or whatever and being completely unprofessional or not, you know, making the deadlines that you have or 
or showing up for your commitments. But regardless, just being honest, you know, being super honest in the moment, labeling it, validating yourself. And here's my big one, having compassion for yourself. We talk about empathy in the Stable Moments program, but boy, I know that I personally could could work on having a lot more compassion for myself. And, you know, I speak to this woman once a month, that's this spiritual intuitive woman, and she, I, I, I will complain sometimes that I notice myself when I'm getting burned out, I start lacking compassion for others. So I'm like, I know this person's going through this thing, but you know, I wish that they would X, Y, and Z, or I'm having a difficult time communicating with this person. And I really want to see, you know, it from their point of view, and I want to be empathetic, but I'm losing my capacity to be empathetic. And she always, it comes back to me. She's like, you're not being compassionate with yourself. You're not being empathetic with yourself. You're not saying, wow, Rebecca, you have a lot going on and this is tough. Wow, Rebecca, you could really use a break. So the more you nurture yourself, the more you are able to show up for others. And it's not, I know I talk about it all the time, but this whole selfless uh, martyr attitude is not the right direction. So got to find time to make, you know, time for yourself. And I am working on trying to build in self-care. I talk about it all the time. I'm going to keep talking about it till I'm doing it well. But this weekend, self-care is a weekend away with my husband. And I just, I'm so excited and I can't wait. And I will let you guys know next week um, how refreshing it was because I am just sold on the fact that it's going to be refreshing, right? I'm not going to have another weekend like I did last time. I did, uh, you know, make sure to book, you know, a hotel this time rather than an Airbnb because I wanted the control that a hotel can give, can give me. So, all right. This week, we talked to Jen, who is a foster parent. She's incredible. She's actually a single foster parent, which I thought it was such a good topic for this podcast because there's so many people out there that are single foster and adoptive parents, and I feel like people in the community that are single parents or single people don't think that fostering and adopting is for them. But I have met so many moms that are single moms. They have five adopted kids or, you know, they're single moms or single dads and they have foster adopted kids. So it's a possibility. And so Jen kind of walks us through, you know, how fostering single was and how she chose to do that. She also chose to close her doors at some point. And I think it's really important that we understand that these commitments we make are not indefinite. They're not forever. They don't need to be forever. That you can do something for a season, for a moment, right? Stable moments. You can show up in the life of a kid for one 10-month session year and you can change that kid's life. You can have an emergency foster placement for, for a weekend and be a part of that kid's life and have, you know, made an impact, So you are a person showing up that is saying your community is good. There's good people here. You're deserving of love. You have worth. So 
She talks about uh, her whole journey and how she chose to stop fostering and how she kind of listened to God's calling the whole way, you know, didn't make any decisions without asking God about it first. So I thought that her, her situation and her experience was so relevant. So without further ado, here is Jen. I'm Rebecca Britt, and this is the Stable Moments Podcast. I started this podcast to understand from all perspectives how we can help end the foster care crisis. The overwhelming response was we need to support our local communities. Unwanted, abandoned, orphaned children are the community's responsibility. We must support, guide, love, invest, raise up generations that will nurture, love, and support their own children to end this crisis. So the purpose of this podcast is to build an army of people that are interested and willing to take responsibility of our foster youth and who are supportive of foster and adoptive families. This is the on-ramp for people who want to get involved but might not know where to start. I want this to be a place where community members feel like they can make a difference, where they feel good enough to make that difference, and believe that they can be a big deal in the life of a child. Thanks for being part of our community and make sure to join the conversation in the Stable Moments podcast Facebook group. Together, we can end the foster care crisis. All right. Thank you so much, Jen, for coming on the podcast. I connected with you on Instagram. I absolutely love it. I was just telling you that I can search for hashtags and find people that are doing amazing work. So um, thanks for agreeing to be on. Yes. If you could, if you could just start by telling us who you are, introduce yourself, and uh, let us know how you came into the world of foster care. So my name is Jennifer Thatcher. I um, actually am a part-time hairstylist. I bought my first house two years ago, and I was leading a singles ministry at the time at my church and thought, you know, I'm just going to use this house for God's glory because I couldn't believe like just working part-time that I was able to do it on my own. And so I thought I was just going to host a bunch of single people at my house and Bible studies. And then within um, a few months of living here, I met like 10 foster parents within a couple weeks. And wow. um, I'd also, my parents were foster parents, um, not to me, okay. but I have foster siblings. And um, I went into a bar and grill to pick up my food. And one of my friends was sitting there with a guy who would look familiar. And so I went and stalked her on Instagram and come to find out the guy she was sitting with happened to be my foster brother from years wow. ago. So I'm like, wow. God, is this where you're calling me? Like, this is so crazy. Like, what do you want me to do? And I was like, I didn't expect to um, fully serve God 24 seven in my own home. Um, <laughs> and I was trying to sign up for residency, which is a seminary level Bible school um, here in Fresno at the time. And, um, so I signed up for that and thought I was going to call around and just look into foster care and like meet the people that I had met, like talk to them and just get some more information on it. So I called an agency, talked to them and, um, about 10 days, I was like, God, where do you want me? What's going to happen? Like, I'm so frustrated. Like, I don't, I'm not good with patients. So I'm like, give me my answer now. So <clears throat> He, I got an answer. I um, received an email from the Well Community Church that they had lost my application to residency. And then literally 10 minutes later, received a phone call saying that I could be a licensed foster parent within two months. Wow. So I was like, okay, God, it's for you. So I did that. And then um, 
I stepped, I knew that I like had to step down singles ministry. There was no way I could do that and do foster care um, because I do have a biological daughter who's 12. And um, so I stepped it down and the next day got a phone call for my first foster child. Wow. Wow. That's quick. Yeah. That, that is awesome. Just because uh, you brought it up that your parents were foster parents. I know that there's a lot of people in this community that their main concern when they are thinking about fostering is their bio kids. Yeah. How will my bio kids handle having other kids in the house? I don't want to do anything that's detrimental to my bio kids. Um, so from both perspectives of being a child yourself who had foster siblings, um, what was that experience like for you? And if you can speak to, you know, your thought process of bringing kids in when you have your own bio kids. Yeah. Um, your kid. I think for me, having foster siblings, I was so young. My parents stopped by the time me and my twin sister were seven. Um, but I, I thought it was just fun. We had kids in and out. My parents kind of sheltered us from all the um, stuff that came along with it, the trauma. And um, so we had a lot of teenagers um, and they did the best to protect us with that. I know there is some stuff that had happened to my sister and she actually shared that with me before I started my journey. And she was like, I don't want to say this to scare you. I just want to say it to protect your daughter. And, um, I think being a single mom and only having one child, I'm able to do my best to protect her because obviously all eyes are on, you know, what goes on and having rules and boundaries, and then also really healthy communication with your kids. Um, I'm very transparent with my daughter. And so just talking about all the things that you need to, um, before children enter into your home. How has she responded? Um, well, we've had eight children in two years. Um, it's been a crazy journey. And I think the first one was really hard for her because they were the same age. They were three months apart, both girls. So it was a lot wow. of competition. Um, <laughs> But I just encourage her to love even when it's hard. Um, and she's done a really good job. She's enjoyed it. I mean, we've had ups and downs, of course, but I can tell that her walk with Jesus has grown so much more through this journey. And when you started this, were you going in like, I'm just, obviously it sounds very much like you were just gonna walk in the way that the Lord called you. Um, but did you go in thinking, you know, I'm just gonna be the gap while kids are getting reunified. I'm just gonna be the foster parent for as long as possible. Did you ever think about adoption? Like, did you have an aim? Um, my first goal was reunification. I think it is God's perfect will for these kids to be with their parents, um, as long as there's healthy, healthy ways. Um, but I did go in just thinking I was going to foster. And in June, I got a call for a baby and I had already gotten a call prior to that. And I said, no, because it was, um, I just didn't feel it was my time. And then I got a call in June and I took, or no, it was April. He left in June and I took in a baby and, um, I thought I was going to adopt him. And at first in the beginning, I was so scared. I'm like, there's no way as a single mom can I adopt, but I don't know if my heart can fully handle another loss either. Um, but I prayed about it and that's where God wanted me. And, um, the baby ended up leaving and that was devastating. Um, but at that point I was finally like fully submitted to where God had me like, God, if you want me to adopt this baby, your will be done, not mine. So, okay. So that, that kind of leads us into what were some of your biggest challenges? Like, what were you just like, Holy smokes, what did I get myself into? <laughs> 
Um, well, I've had all ages. So I've had from age 18 to six weeks old. Um, the only age I haven't had, well, actually my grandson, my teen mom has a two-year-old. So I guess I did have toddlers too. Um, so my biggest challenges, I think with some of them were behaviors. Um, and I think one of my biggest challenges was I had a little boy come in and he had had so much trauma and no one wanted to believe me. And um, once behaviors came out and things started being said, finally, they believed me, but just advocating for the kids um, and having people understand, like you said, it's very isolating. And when social workers and agency workers don't live in your home, they have no idea. So you can advocate mm -hmm. and share all that's happened, but to get them to believe you until it's like a huge blown up thing was so hard for me. Mm. Yeah, it reminds me of when I was a post-adoption case manager, there was a lot of times that I would advocate for families to document everything, like call their local mental health or call for resources. And they'd say, well, I'm not getting any help. And so I just stopped calling there. And I'm like, you've got to call just, just to document it so that when you go back and you say, no, I've called 17 times or whatever, um, which kind of sucks that it's a fruit, fruitless effort. Um, but yeah, I, I understand having to document so much and it sucks to think that, you know, you're giving your time and you're giving your home and you would think that the care team, um, that you would be part of that and kind of, they would, they would listen to you. Did you feel like your social workers knew what trauma was or were trauma informed? Um, yes, I do because I actually ended up doing, um, classes. They did like a little conference. It was only a weekend on Empowered to Connect, um, which is trust-based relational intervention. But I ended up doing like the eight-week course of it, or maybe it was 12. Mm. It was really long. Um, and so I think they knew some of it, but it was just getting them to believe you. Like, I'm not being dramatic. This is really what was happening. And then the other thing that I struggled with was obviously like, they have all these rules for you, like your biological child can't sleep in your bed. But when there was safety issues and concerns for me, for my daughter, like I'm going to put her in my bed regardless of what their rules mm. are to protect her. Um, so that was some of the struggles. And then just realizing that I need to just not react and um, dig deeper into the behaviors and look at their heart and not the behavior and realize where is the behavior coming from? Because there's obviously deeper rooted issues. Nine out of 10 times there was deeper rooted issues than the behavior. How quick were some of your quickest placements and how long were some of your longest placements? Um, so my teen mom, she just moved out the beginning of this month and she was with us a year and a month. And then, okay. um, my shortest placement was a weekend and I still actually am in contact with, with him. So. Wow. Yeah. And do you know, like, do you know if it's going to be a weekend or do you know if it's going to be a year? Um, sometimes it all depends on the case. Um, and when you go through your meetings, the one that I took for over the, actually I had three, I think over a weekend, but, um, just needed healing and some wounds. And I knew that my daughter was gone in her dad's house at the time. So that's the only reason I could say yes. Cause I had already had the other kids living with me. So I knew it was just a weekend, but it gave the social workers time to figure out more of a permanent placement. Yeah. Did, did you ever like put a limit on how many kids at one time you were going to take in? <laughs> um, I did. Cause I, in the beginning only said one and then over COVID, I think I had 
four, including my biological. So yeah, it's the, the best made plans. And then, yeah, <laughs> then God has other plans. For yes. Us. Well, so what were some of your biggest wins? Like what made it rewarding and made you keep going? Um, honestly, some of my biggest wins, I think were, I don't even know if you would call them wins, but just seeing how God works in our, um, decisions and our household. Mm -hmm. So actually this is a crazy story, but I was in women's Bible study and we were going over, um, Abraham and Sarah and how they couldn't have a baby. And so they decided to go outside and have their servant get pregnant and had a baby. Um, and I got a phone call for a baby. And I was praying like, God, where do you want me? I don't know if I can do this. Like, I don't know if this is for me at the time. I need to focus on the kids in my house and just really seeking Christ through all of my decisions. And it was um, a no surrender baby. So I knew if I said yes, it was permanent. Like there was no going back and you have such little time to decide. It's like, oh my goodness, such a huge decision. So I was like praying about it. And I'm like, okay, wait, if I don't have clarity, this isn't fair because there's families out there that already know. And mm. so I had to say no. And the worker knew I wanted a baby. So that's why he called me. Um, I had become friends with the emergency worker. Um, cause ha he happened to go to my same church. So I messaged him and, um, told him, you know, I'm going to have to say no, like I'm not clear about this decision and I'm going through, you know, the book of Genesis. And I just feel like God will be faithful to me no matter what. He was still faithful to Abraham and Sarah and brought Isaac. And so I'm like, he's going to be faithful even if I say no, but I don't want it my will, like God's will be done. So I said no. And come to find out they picked a family and they were a Christian family. They like um, led a youth group at a church. And I added her on Facebook because I'm crazy. <laughs> and come to find out they announced the baby's name the next day and it was Isaac. And I'm like, oh my, oh my goodness, God. Like I knew that was him being faithful to my decision, knowing that um, I was seeking his will in that. So it was so crazy. And so that's just one of the little things that God did um, in my life. And that was definitely a win because I knew, you know, it was his will. And um, also having children come in, I had a couple kids come in just singing horrible songs. Um, and we'd hear them sing by the bathtub and my daughter and I would go up and listen and they were just awful. And I'm like, go away, Maddie, let's not listen. And then um, one of the little guys, we, a couple days later, we hear him in the bathtub singing and he's singing King of my heart. And it was just so amazing to know that we had changed the song in his heart. Aww. So. That is so sweet. Oh, I love that. I love the, um, like the little signs, the little, like, yes, you're on the right path. This is aligned. And, and I love that you felt okay to say no, because I think that a lot of people carry into this work, you know, this really heavy responsibility, you know, which I get it. These are children. These are lives. You're saying that you're going to be there. So um, I do think that a lot of parents put on themselves like, okay, this means that we need to take in everybody or we need to, you know, kind of be selfless. Um, but it's really not that way. You can choose and you can put boundaries on your life. And I love that you said it's almost not fair for you to say yes, not having clarity, knowing that other people do have clarity right now, and especially for infants in, um, they're usually easier to place, um, in foster care. And sometimes the selfless decision is to say no, you know, I know, I know. Yeah. And I mean, you talk about that too, for, 
for moms who give their babies up for adoption, I mean, they are making the most selfless choice to give this baby, you know, the best life that they think that they can. Yes. That is awesome. Do you, does, is your church family um, very immersed in the foster world? Actually, they're not. So I've been trying to bring more of foster care. And through this journey, um, there's a couple that did it and they just started, um, became ministers at the church. So I'm excited for the church to start. Yeah. I'm starting to see a pattern of more and more churches kind of having more members either foster or adopt or even having the whole church body kind of come around and support uh, foster and adoptive families. I think it's super important, um, you know, especially just because we're called to, um, you know, care for orphans. And it's part of the duty, I feel like, of us to take care of kids in our community that are neglected, abused, unwanted, abandoned. So I'm really happy to see that. I just didn't know if you had come from a church that was like, um, I really had that in its heartbeat, but I love that you're kind of leading the charge on that. Yeah. So you said that you got Empowered to Connect training, which we absolutely love that. Um, did Was that part of your actual, like, to get licensed, or was it just an additional thing that you could do, like, op optional? Um, so there is another church that does. So I'm connected with a lot of churches because the singles ministry I led was through my church, but a lot of people from other churches came because we didn't have, um, they didn't have any singles ministries. So I got connected with a lot of people even through that. And there was another church, um, and one of the pastor's wives there started a nonprofit called city without orphans. And they've become really good friends of mine. And, um, she teaches the TBRI classes and it was so, it's such a game changer, <laughs> such a game changer. Even for me parenting my biological child, I swear it's like amazing. So you kind of went out on your own yeah. and got this training. Yeah. So do you feel like your training to become licensed to be a foster parent, do you think that prepared you for trauma? Was there any, you know, trauma-informed education during that time? No, they didn't. And I feel like their trauma training was nothing compared to TBRI. Like you forget it and they move in and you totally forget it. And like the timing the TBRI came and I started doing that was when I had a child that had had the most trauma at the time. And it seriously changed, changed my entire life with him. Um, I remember chasing him around the backyard, trying to put him on timeout for like 30 minutes. This kid was so fast. And once you realize like they're in flight, flight or freeze, like you can't do that. Um, it changes a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why the state licensure kind of training doesn't think to like contract with TBRI uh, training facilities to get all foster parents to go through that or some type of um, thing that they could contract with so that they don't even have to do the training, but that they can bring in the experts that do it so well. Um, I, you are like so many other people that I've talked to that, you know, realized they needed resources that they weren't given and then went out and got it. And, you know, one of the guests we had on did say he didn't even know if he would have listened or been as able to absorb that information before he had kids because, 
you know, you haven't had a kid yet, so you don't have anything to reference it to. And then once you have a kid that you're chasing around the backyard and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing, a lot of that information makes a lot more sense because you kind of have a reference point. So, yes. but I do think that there's an opportunity to prepare parents a bit more um, and not really, I think there's a way to do it where you're not scaring parents to say like these kids have so much trauma and this is what you're going to be dealing with, but like, Hey, we want to equip you and there is an effective way to work with these kids. And here's all your tools, you know, to do that. And here's your resources for after the fact, when you do rub up against these things, do you feel like you were connected at all with any community, any other foster parents through um, your training to become a foster parent? Yes, definitely. Um, I, cause it was a class before, I think it was a year and a half ago. And so it connected us with a lot of other families and parents, um, and just meeting people through city without orphans and through events they have, they do like respite nights where they'll watch the kids and, um, all the families that I met before becoming a foster parent that had fostered. So I have a really strong community. Um, but I'm super passionate about TVRI. And now my goal hopefully is to like teach agencies it. like, that's what I want to do. And I don't have a degree in social work or any of that, but I'm like, I feel a lot of these social workers aren't even parents. So I feel like sometimes we're more equipped than they are to teach this stuff. So I'm hoping to get trained to be able to teach agencies, TBRI and other families. Yeah. And they have a certification course, right? So that you can become a trainer. Yeah. I was, supposed, yeah. I was hoping to do it over all of this and then COVID happened. So. Yeah. I think it's great and it's needed and just the making the connections. I'm, I'm so glad that you had some other resources, you know, to be able to connect with those families and, and see maybe a foster adoptive support group is in your future. Yeah. <laughs> Although I don't know, I don't know how that works when people have, you know, kids and all of that, but I know that just bringing parents together can be uh, relieving. Yeah, for sure. So I know on social media, I saw that you've recently chosen to stop fostering. So I thought that this was really, really um, great for our audience because again, so many people feel like if they're going to go into this, it needs to be forever. And if they're going to be successful at it, they don't know if they can put an end date on it. And, and the truth is you can go until you are led in another way, or you can go until you don't want to go anymore. Um, and something you do for a short period of time or for, you know, an undefined period of time is, is, can be just as helpful, you know? Yeah. So what led you to your decision and feeling good about that? Um, so my daughter and I were actually in Reno and she brought up wanting to be done with it. And she is 12 years old. So I feel like she really needs my time right now because teenage years are the hardest for sure. Um, so she had brought it up. And then after the baby leaving, I was just devastated. I went through, um, a lot of depression after he left, um, because Babies just require so much of you and you don't realize it. Like you're, everything is about them. You're waking up with them in the middle of the night and being a single parent, like it was all on me. So when he left, I was still waking up in the middle of the night and he wasn't there. <laughs> like it's, it's pretty traumatizing. Um, and they told me like, we're not going to blindside you and did. So it was really hard, um, going through that process. So I had felt like with Madison and stuff, my biological daughter, that it was kind of coming to an end. 
And then when she said that, I'm like, okay, I think this is what needs to happen. And then during that time, I met someone. So I've been single for six years and God has been faithful. And now I have a boyfriend and it's serious. Um, and so I'm like, okay, maybe it's time for a different season. God, like your will be done, not mine. And, um, yeah, we, we decided that it was the end of our journey. So I'm excited. Yeah, I love it. It it feels so kind of natural and it's just like a transition that happened. I also love that your daughter felt, you know, like she could say, I I think I want to chill out on this right now and that you could hear her and, um, and that that was an option uh, for you guys. So is there anything that the community could have done? Like if you think of, and maybe not even for yourself, um, but is there anything that the community could have done around you where you would have felt more supported in your journey or um, that community members could do, whether they're in a church or whether they're at the school or whether they're just in your neighborhood? Is there anything that they could have done that could have been more supportive or you maybe they did and you felt unsupported? Um, I don't think there's any more they could have done. I have a great community. I think no matter what, when you're a single foster parent, it's just so isolating. Like, because you're feeling your own feelings, there's not someone there filling them with you or understanding or living in the home. Um, but I think my community support was incredible. Um, and there's nothing more they could have done because no matter what, like I said, when you're living in it, it's definitely isolating and very different. How much did your community members know about your journey? Um, yes, most of them knew, but it was always the people closest to me that I knew were going to come alongside or help babysit. Cause like I said, I do work. So, um, mm -hmm. I definitely needed that support ahead of time. So as soon as I got a phone call, I would be calling my closest friends that were helping me at the time, um, and just letting them know. So I was pretty open with it. Yeah. That's awesome. And that's really helpful. So your parents were foster parents. So what did they feel like about your journey or like, how were they involved? So my parents live 30 minutes away. So they have not been very involved and they're older. My dad's 80, my mom's 72. So they're a lot older. Um, and they did not want me to do it at all. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they were not for it. They're like, you're single. How are you going to do it? Like it was so hard on them. And they had a lot of kids at different times, I believe too. Um, and they had some really traumatic experiences with teens. So they were not for me doing it. Um, especially when I told them I was taking a teen mom, but I don't live my life by fear. So we're very different. <laughs> and my faith is so different. Well, what, what led them to foster? Um, they just wanted to help, help children. Yeah. yeah. It's, I feel like a lot of people don't even think of it. You know, they don't even think of fostering. So well, my grandparents also adopted. So it's kind of like a generational thing. They also fostered as well. So my mom has an adopted brother. Oh, that's awesome. It's so crazy too, to hear like how um, foster care worked and how placements worked um, in different, you know, time eras or whatever um, and how the system has changed and certainly our knowledge of trauma. Um, your parents were really 
probably left out to dry as far as oh, what yeah. was going on with trauma and yes. any resources. Talk about social workers not believing you. you. They probably didn't, they weren't equipped to believe someone because we just didn't know anything about trauma back then. They had no idea about trauma and some of the stuff they went through, I just can't even believe. I'm like, oh my goodness. So they were terrified for me to do it, but I'm like, mm, I don't live by fear, I'll be fine. <laughs> Which of course it is scary when you first have a child move in because you don't know what you're expecting. But I think the biggest thing to do is just throw all expectations out the door as soon as the children walk in and just go with it. Yeah. Were they relieved when you said you were um, stopping? Yeah, I think so. My, my parents just missed the time with me, I think, the most. And um, it's been a journey where we've been home a lot more. <laughs> and... Mm busy. Like at one point I was doing three drop-offs in the morning before school. So they're like, we're just ready for you to be back around us more. And you know, yeah. How did, um, COVID impact your fostering journey? Um, like what was that like? Oh my goodness. So much because, um, being a hairstylist and being here in California, we weren't allowed to work. So my job got shut down and here I am with a mortgage and three children. And, um, I'm like, I still have to do something like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but, um, I was just, God had been faithful through all of it. Like my loan officer was so kind and paid my mortgage without telling me one month. And like, God continued Uh to bless us and be faithful during all of that. And, um, the domestic violence had gone up. And so I had received a phone call for a transgender and that was one I had for a weekend. And then also the baby. And, um, when I got the baby, I had that bonding time, which was super special. So I was grateful for COVID during that time was to be able to bond with him and connect and, you know, wake up a lot during the night, the first week. So (laughs) it was awesome. Did you have any school age kids that were in school? Um, during COVID? Well, like, yeah. did you have to manage the home learning? My biological daughter, but she's 12. So she's caught on pretty easy. This is the first time she's gotten straight A's. So pretty proud of her. <laughs> and, um, my teen mom, she had just, she was finishing high school. So she missed her graduation, like Aww. all of that. So it was pretty sad because she was at actually a continuation school and she fought so hard to get to go to regular high school. And then they didn't have prom. They didn't have graduation. So it was kind of a bummer for her. But um, she's now in college doing really well. So That is awesome. So, like, where is she? Is she, is she going in person to college? No, it's all online. Um, so I feel for her right now because she just moved out and got her own apartment. So, yeah, it's all online. So she's trying to do it with her two-year-olds. Who is a wild... <laughs> I love that though. I love hearing stories of that because we do talk about aging out of foster care and transitions and what that looks like. So I love that she's doing her schoolwork and she's got her own place and hopefully she feels quite accomplished for being able to do that and provide that for her daughter too. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, you just, I mean, I just can't imagine like, I, I was like, oh man, foster parents, it was already a big job and now foster parents have to do online, you know, cause all, all foster kids have to be enrolled in public school and they have to go to public school. So you don't even think about homeschooling them or keeping them home during the day. Um, and so that was like 
a much bigger burden. But I also know that a lot of foster parents weren't wanting to bring in kids during COVID just because of, you know, transmitting the virus or being nervous and protecting their, you know, their family. So did you see an uh, like uptick in cases that or calls you were getting? Actually, it was way lower, which is scary um, because, you know, kids aren't in school. So I know a few a few children that had been placed in my home was because of abuse from school um, or the teachers found it. I mean, abuse from parents and teachers found marks or whatever. But I think that the whole over COVID thing, like I was like, do I give this person a home? Like I said, I do not live by fear. So I'm like, forget COVID. Like these kids need a home and I have time. Like I'm not working. Why not? You know? Right. But we definitely saw an increase in teenagers and babies because that's the only, I mean, teenagers obviously can call the cops and babies get tested at the hospital. Most of them. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's really interesting. So what is one piece of advice? Say there's somebody listening to this and they're like, Oh, you know, cause I think that your story can put people at ease with the, like, you know, you followed a calling, you really waited for signs, you continued to kind of ask God where he wanted you to go with this. And then, you know, you were able to stop. So if people were listening to this and they were wanting to become foster parents, what is like one piece of advice that you would give someone? If they're wanting to become foster parents? Yeah. Or thinking about it my piece of advice is don't live by fear. Mm. And if you are single, like this is the time God calls us to be fully devoted to him in our singleness. And these children got all of my undivided attention. And it wasn't worried. I wasn't worried about if it was going to ruin my marriage or if I had to ask my husband, I just kind of went with it and just trusted God. I love that. Don't live by fear. I love it. Mm. So where can we follow, follow you and your, your, journey in foster care and your journey moving forward um so my instagram is at or it's love god love orphans love god love orphans yes all right cool so i'm gonna link your instagram people can follow you see what you're up to i'm excited to kind of see your next chapter especially if you do the tbri training you feel like or i feel like like this season that you've had is you know for something more as well and that you have such a good perspective, um, especially for other parents that are thinking about doing it. So, and you know, it is challenging. People always want to know if there's someone that has been through it. And I think that you sound like kind of a connector, like you had, you've had a bunch of singles from a bunch of different churches come to your home and you have been held the gap for a bunch of uh, foster kids. So yeah, I don't doubt that you were called to this work for an incredible reason. And just because the journey is ending doesn't mean you stop loving orphans or that your heart changes for them. So um, that's why I still want to be involved, whether it's like you said, connecting people or doing respite if I have a weekend free, um, because we are all called to love orphans and widows. And um, it's just, it's okay too, when you're ready to be done, like it is exhausting. I get it. And there's so like, if you guys are foster parents out there that just feel tired, like enjoy the time to rest. And um, God is faithful through all of it. Like, that's why I'm like, this is my season of reaping. Like God has sent me an amazing man now. And I'm getting this time with my daughter and it's so special. Um, so time of rest and reaping is always okay. Yeah, I love that. And I also love that, that you are saying, you know, you don't, that you don't have to foster 
to make an impact, you know, because I think that a lot of times people feel like, oh, well, what can I do for foster kids? There's fostering, but I'm not ready to do that. And there's so many other things you can do, like be a mentor or a guardian ad litem or support the foster families that are fostering currently and jumping into volunteer organizations. So yes, I absolutely love that. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And this was a really great interview. I think our community is going to love hearing your perspective. Absolutely love that interview. Yes, if you're single, now's the time. You can do it. I I know that a lot of people are intimidated by that, but I love that. This is a time in your life that you can dedicate yourself fully. Also, you don't need to worry about when or if or how you close your doors. That's just a decision you can make whenever the time comes, you can close your doors and you're still open for maybe emergency placements, maybe not, but this doesn't need to be a long-term commitment. It's something that you can jump in. And remember, once you're licensed, even if you don't want to uh, continue to have children come into your home, you can be a respite provider so that you can give families who are currently fostering a night off and be able to go over and be a babysitter because foster parents cannot have just anyone babysit foster kids. They actually need to be licensed as a foster parent as well. So if you're thinking about it, get licensed, you know, see what it takes to become a foster parent and you never need to commit to a child. You never need to even say yes to one, but you can walk down the path and see what it's like. All right, guys, talk to you next week. And remember, we all have the potential to be a big deal in the life of a child.